40inbox.com here. So there's a few things that we want to kind of like cover, like a few uh, posts that we uh, saw on Reddit. So number one, what do people mean when they say it's expensive to be poor? So this person says, I've always heard this and never really understood what it meant. I can make a few guesses, but I wanted to hear people's takes on this. Now we're going to go into the comments of this post. But to put it simply, right, the meaning of it's expensive to be poor is that typically people who are poor tend to have to do the cheap options or basically, let's word it like this. Say, instead of buying a pair of clothing for like, a hundred dollars for the pair of clothing that could literally last like years. So like for example, spending like one hundred to two hundred dollars on a really, really, really nice pair of jeans that could literally last decades versus spending like ten bucks on a pair of jeans and that thing getting holes in it within a month, right? So you're having to constantly buy more and more jeans, thus it ends up actually being more expensive buying the cheaper option than just the higher quality option. Another way to think about it, right, is the food you eat, right? So if you're too poor to buy healthier options, which are typically more expensive than the unhealthier options, your health bills are going to most likely be more expensive for you in the long run. You could end up getting into potentially more diseases, possibly getting more cancers, etc., etc., right? So that's what it really means for it's expensive to be poor because you end up having to go down the route that is technically cheaper on the short end, but over the course of your life, it's actually going to be more expensive. So let's go into the comment sections to get other people's point of view. So this person puts, there are a lot of situations where spending extra money up front would save you more down the line, but if you're poor, you can't afford to do that. Can't afford a good car? Have to buy a crappy one and continually pay for repairs. Can't make rent this month? Gotta pay, gotta get a payday loan and pay crazy high interest. Don't have time to cook because you're working two jobs to make ends meet. Gotta eat out all the time, often unhealthy fast food. The list goes on. And here's the thing, right? Like the big one, I really agree with this person's statement right here because a lot of people don't understand the burden on your body when you're constantly eating fast food for the majority of your meals, right? And you might not even be technically getting fat because you might be under like a caloric deficit, but you're still putting a burden on your system because that food is just is not good for you. So another person puts like a really good pair of boots that would last 25 years for $200 versus a new pair of Walmart boots for $45 every winter or so. I would agree with that one. To add late fees, overdraft fees. Now, this one is actually very important, right? 
And a lot of people don't even consider this, right? When you end up getting an overdraft fee, it means that you are literally too poor that you don't even have money in your account. So they're actually punishing you, the banks are punishing you for literally being too poor, for not having enough money. Like it's crazy. Okay, and living in cheaper apartments can mean living in older apartments with poor insulation and baseboard heating, which can get super expensive. Vime's infamous theory of socioeconomic fairness, e.g. purchasing cheap boots frequently against buying one expensive pair lasting better long term, plays so much in current society, especially in rent-to-own places for furniture, appliances, and gaming consoles for the kids. I don't disagree with this sentiment, but I don't agree about fast food being easier or more convenient than cooking at home. There are endless amounts of cheap, quick meals you can cook at home for way cheaper than McDonald's. Now, here's the thing. This is also an important statement, right? Because a lot of people consider fast food as cheap. No. Fast food is actually not really that cheap unless you go to a dollar menu situation, which the majority of people don't actually do. They get like, oh, I want the number four with a like large Diet Coke or Coke or whatever or coffee, whatever kind of stuff, right? They just pick one of the numbers. They basically never ever do like the dollar menu stuff, right? So I actually did this personally like one time, right? Because I ended up having to basically get blood tested for a family member's potential like bone marrow transplant. And um, because of that blood getting taken out of me, I like I immediately got passed out. Like I literally passed out in like the doctor's office, right? Because they just took out the blood. I was just like knocked out completely, right? So I was like, okay, crap. Well, I mean, I'm in a rush. I do not have time to go get something from a grocery store. I got to eat something because it's kind of dangerous to like, because I didn't, also side note, I didn't, like I literally didn't eat anything that day because I had to get the blood taken out. So I was dehydrated, had no food and was missing blood. So I had to go get something in my system at the very least, right? So I was like, okay, like I haven't been to McDonald's in years. So let me just go get McDonald's, just get something because I need something for uh, a safety thing because I couldn't just go like drive around without with the risk the potential risk of basically just passing out right so I went to go get something which I thought was like a pretty simple okay small diet soda a burger and a fries right something like very simple this thing was so tiny, right? Like the burger was super tiny. The drink was super tiny. The fries was basically non-existent. And I spent over 10 bucks for this thing, right? And this thing's nearly like a, like 2,000 calories for barely the size of like my hand, right? So I basically just spent over 10 bucks you know, with taxes and stuff for the amount of food that would fit in my hand, that would basically be pretty much the average daily intake of a grown adult, <laughs> right? You know, like, it's absolutely crazy, right? So 
I gotta agree, there are endless amounts of cheap, quick meals you can cook at home for way cheaper than McDonald's. And not only that, personal side note, at Walmart, there's actually like pre-made like um, things that you could just microwave that are super cheap, that are pretty healthy, that actually taste good, right? And they only cost like, you know, for like a bag, $8 for like, I don't know, like seven or eight turkey burgers, turkey breasts, that kind of stuff, right? Or beef burgers, if you're into that. Like, there's a lot of cheap options, not to mention if you just get like bread, that's like a dollar or two dollars, right? So it's, fruit is super cheap as well if you don't get the organic option, which by the way, there's not really a difference between organic and just normal fruit. Like, not really any difference at all. So, I would have to agree with this. Fast food is not necessarily cheaper or quicker because depending on the lines of these things, it can be forever, right? So, it would actually probably be smarter for a lot of people to just pre-make a lot of your meals and then so on and so on. So, another person says, don't have enough money to buy a bulk pack. Have to buy items individually and pay more for each one. So a good example of this is like, let's say if you like drinking energy drinks or, uh, yeah, let's just say energy drinks. You know, one can of Monster at like a gas station could be up to like four bucks, right? Depending on your your location. But like a 12 pack of Monster could be like $17, $18, right? So... You could kind of do the math there. You're getting kind of robbed over time. Because imagine if you were to get just one energy drink every single day, right? That's four bucks plus every single day on an energy drink, right? Whereas with the, if you were just buy the pack of like Monster, the 12 pack, that's like a dollar ninety eight roughly per can per day instead of roughly the four bucks per can per day. So it could literally be double the amount of expenses if you're not careful. Installation and general weather conditioning is a huge one. Trailer homes and older homes can be jaw-droppingly expensive to heat or cool. I would have to agree with that one. If you don't have a bank account, you pay to cash a check. If your credit is crap, you pay higher rates for every loan. If you don't have a kitchen, it's expensive to eat out. If you need $20 to make it until the end of the week, you'll pay another $20 just to get the money you need. When you have money, banks and businesses give you the small things for free to try to win your business. When you don't, you pay for every little thing. And, you know, this is actually kind of like a disturbing statement because a lot of people don't realize this. But if you have a certain amount of money just sitting in a bank account, these banks are going to do everything they can for your business. They're going to be like, oh, you don't have any fees banking with us because you got a combined amount of money for this. Oh, by the way, have you heard? Oh, you know what? We're actually offering you a loan of like four times your account value because we know you're good for it kind of thing. Like, they do some crazy stuff for you if you have money, like a good chunk of money just sitting in their account. Like, it's absolutely crazy. Let's see. 
related. I was just reading a Wall Street Journal story online last night about people in low-income neighborhoods who live in banking deserts and have to rely on independently owned ATMs at gas stations, laundromats, etc. to access cash and thus always have to pay money to get their money. Exactly. Like, it's absolutely crazy. But I get, I, I think, for those that end up, like, listening to this, you get the point as to what does it mean when they say being poor is expensive. Like, it's expensive to be poor. So let's move on to the next post I want to cover. So feeling a lot of financial regret. I guess this is just an event and see if anyone else else out there feels the same. 38, and just starting to understand personal finance. Hey, don't feel bad. For anyone who ends up, like, listening to this, right, being, like, 38, don't feel too bad. Don't feel, like, self-conscious about, you know, you getting up there in age and not necessarily really understanding personal finance. The majority of the population of the world does not understand personal finance. So, like, don't, you know, be too negative on yourself. You know, there's always time. So I grew up in a family that didn't trust stocks, and so I was afraid of it. That I was supposed to put all my money in a savings account. I'm fortunate to have no debt. Pretty awesome. Emergency savings. Love that. And that I've been contributing to a 401k. That's pretty awesome. But there's so much more I could have done if I'd been smarter when younger. Yeah, so this person says, so start now, 38 with no debt and good savings habits sound like positives to me. If you have a 401k, you have some investments, you can still contribute to a 2021 IRA. And here's the thing, right? Like, I'd have to agree with this. For those that have a lot of financial regret out there, do not hate yourself. Don't feel too bad for yourself, right? The way to look at it is that, guess what? Today... When you go to sleep, you're going to go to sleep, then you're going to wake up the next day, and it's a brand new day, which means you got a brand new day to learn something new. You got a brand new day to start investing. You got a brand new day to start learning a little bit more about finance, to just to get a little bit better, right? I, there's no need to make like massive drastic changes or to feel completely horrendous about yourself, right? So like... The same kind of principle can be viewed when it comes down to losing weight, right? If you have like a goal of like losing weight and you have like a whole bunch of like diet regret, body image regret, fitness regret, right? And you're just now starting to get into fitness and you're a little bit older in age, just think of it like, Okay, that was the past. I can't really do anything about the past, but tomorrow's a new day, so I could just try to improve one step at a time, right? Like, the goal isn't to make massive drastic changes. The goal is to make consistent changes in the right direction, right? So that, because there's always going to be, like, ups and downs in your life, right? Whether it be finances, diet, whatever kind of stuff, right? There's always going to be fluctuations. But you just want your overall, like the net of everything, to be slightly up instead of slightly down, right? So just the next day, just try your best. The next day after that, just try your best, right? That's all you can really ask of yourself is just to try your best so that you don't 
end up regretting in the future, right? Just do your best. No harm, no foul, you know? Stay positive for everyone out there. So most of us have regrets when it comes to personal finance. Don't beat yourself up too much and do better from now on. I would agree with this, right? Holla, preach it. <laughs> you always wish you started younger. I wish I didn't blow a 7K CD my grandparents gave me on stupid crap in college. Point is, you really you realize now and stick to a plan now. Oh my god. This CD, I literally thought it was a CD, like the things that you listen to, not like a certificate of deposit. I'm a complete moron. Wow. My first year and a half of college, I used to blow through money and all on stupid S that I absolutely didn't need. I had a meal plan in the cafeteria and lived in the dorm, so all my basic needs were taken care of, yet I blew through $4,000 my freshman year and $2,500 my sophomore year. It was money I'd saved from summer jobs. I took my parents saying, tough S, get a job when I asked for help for me to pull my head out of my butt. Even after that lesson, I haven't always made the best decisions, but I feel like I'm doing basically okay for myself these days. I'm in my late 30s and have a decent about a decent amount saved for retirement. I started investing last year and I have relatively little credit card debt. Hey, good job, disgruntled capybara, whatever that thing is. So this person says, I started contributing to a 401 in my 40s. Around 2007-2008, I was losing money with every contribution but kept at it, buying low and putting as much as I could afford. Even with a late start, I have a healthy account. It's never too late to get started. And that's the thing. It is never too late to start. As long as you wake up the next day, it is never too late to start, right? And here's the thing, right? Another way to really look at it. If you go to our fortiumbox.com podcast, that you could just search it up, just like fortiumbox.com, just that. We actually posted an episode, Can You Become a Millionaire? by just investing into ETFs, right? And we go through this article written by, I think, uh, Motley Fool, right? Which is like one of those like massive, massive stock uh, websites. But they actually had a chart on there that really broke it down by the numbers. And so obviously the more money that you have, the easier it is on you. Like the amount of money that you have per month to actually invest for your investments, the easier it's going to be for you. But it could also just be a few hundred dollars a month, right? And the main thing is, if you have no debt, but you're still able to toss hundreds of dollars per month towards investments, or like try to do that at the like bare minimum, you'll still end up with a pretty good amount of money, right? So... You should listen to that if you're interested in that because it's one of the laziest ways to end up becoming a millionaire and one of the most simplistic ways. Like you don't got to do anything too complicated in terms of like investing, especially if you're someone who wants to be pretty hands off, right? Which honestly, a majority of people should be more hands off because there's a lot of people that will get emotionally 
triggered by the potential potential losses of a drop in price of stocks. And if you're trading in individual stocks, you might get emotionally tied to things, and it's just going it's probably going to end pretty badly, right? But with an ETF that basically just trades the S&P 500, that just you know follows that pretty much to the T, you're going to average like eight plus percent, ten plus percent per year annually over decades, right? And you could easily become a millionaire by just simply investing into something like that, right? You don't have to complicate it, just keep it simple. And so if you keep it simple, the only things you really gotta worry about is just increasing your income and decreasing your costs. So it's something to really think about. So let's check out the uh, next post that I wanted to cover. Young engineer looking to buy a new vehicle. Got in an accident, car totaled. Should I pay cash for a used car in this market or finance a car's few months before getting a house. I have cash saved up including the insurance settlement car. All the cars over 15k that are reliable are severely overpriced due to the market. I will get new vehicle in a year when car market stabilizes. The dilemma I have is I'm also trying to get a house in North Texas sometime during summer months. My credit is great, but because the housing market is overpriced as well, I'm trying to save to prioritize that, as I have the down payment saved for the range of house I'm interested in. Due to the uncertainty in both markets, I'm in a bit of a bind and stalemate in deciding best course of action. Being tall eliminates a large portion of smaller cars. Best course of action to avoid making house purchase less difficult while optimizing best choice in cars. Now here's the thing, right? This statement, being tall, eliminates a large portion of smaller cars. Hey man, guess what? Or girl, right? I don't know who you are. This is a cop-out. This statement right here is a straight-up cop-out. Being tall eliminates a large portion of smaller cars. That is a cop-out. That is a straight-up lie, okay? There is, like, unless you're seven foot plus... There are a lot of cars that are small that you can still fit in because they prioritize the driver, right? So just that straight up was a cop-out. I don't really like that. Now, the thing that kind of bothers me, right? And I see this a lot with people who are like just graduating or not necessarily just graduating, but basically people... Who have really good salaries that are young, right? You kind of get into this mindset that you kind of deserve everything, right? That you kind of like want to eat your cake and your ice cream because you feel like you deserve both at the same time, right? Like that's kind of what I'm reading from this post from this engineer right and they keep trying to make like excuses as to why they just can't buy a cheap vehicle right which is sad right because here's the thing this is literally one of the worst times to ever buy a vehicle period end of story right because you could literally 
have bought a car three years ago, put over 50,000 miles on the car, and sell that car right now for potentially four or $5,000 more than when you bought it, depending on the vehicle, right? Like, it's absolutely insane. It is still one of the worst times to ever buy a car in general, especially a brand new one, right? A brand new one, the markups on them are going to be disgusting, like disgusting, close to like, like a, Thirty or 40000 typical car would be more like fifty, sixty thousand dollars 60000 now. Like, it's going to be insane, right? And you're going to, what, try to justify buying that while also having to buy a house that is going to be pre- pretty much overpriced as well? Like, that makes no sense. Like, if your main goal is to get a house, buy a car for cash that is cheap and reliable. There's a lot of trucks that are cheap and reliable. Now, there are some trucks that are basically more, a little bit more expensive now, but they are still reliable. There's still cars that are cheap enough that they are still reliable. Pretty much almost every Honda car is cheap and affordable, roughly, right? There's Nissan Altimos, you know, affordable. There's old Infinities sedans that are actually pretty nice inside. Right, I'm thinking like Infiniti G35 or G37. There's are still pretty cheap and affordable as well, right? But a lot of Hondas, a lot of Toyotas, a lot of Nissans, right? There's a lot of trucks, like I said, but they're a little bit more pricey because trucks tend to hold their value way better than any other pretty much vehicle out there. But basically, buy a car that is well, in this market, probably at least five plus years old, at least, right? For you to actually like be able to afford an okay, reliable vehicle. But still, like, if your main goal is to really get a house, then get the house by not spending a crazy amount for a new vehicle. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. But let's get into the comments to get other people's perspective. So, get a donkey. The market's right for donkeys at the moment. They are great pack animals, loyal friends, and fierce protectors. If the donkey isn't a good choice, I would finance a newish pre-owned if possible. Now, here's the thing. I really do not like people financing cars, right? Personally, I don't like people financing anything at all. Right, but the main thing is because we broke this down not too long ago. But even in this episode that we mentioned, like, can you become a millionaire with just ETFs? Right, if you literally stuck the payment for like a brand new vehicle or like whatever vehicle you have right now into an ETF, like that same amount over a few decades, depending how much that actually is you have a million dollars, right? Like, it's absolutely insane. And a lot of people do not really understand the opportunity cost of spending money into a depreciating asset like a car versus just putting this money into an ETF, right? Into some sort of investment that will grow with compound interest. Now, here's the thing. 
We're not against people getting cars. We're not against people buying nice things. We're just against people going into debt for something that they don't need because it's too expensive and it's going to go down in value while you could end up putting that money towards something that's going to go in value, right? Not to mention, I don't think this person actually realizes this is going to ding your credit by trying to finance a new car and also trying to get a loan for a house. Like, it's actually going to diminish your credit. Now, maybe not too much, but it's still going to affect your credit. So if your main goal is to buy a house, you probably shouldn't be applying for a loan for a car, which means that you should pay cash for a car, which means you should look for a lower priced car so that you can spend as little as possible while getting the most reliability as possible. Next person, how do the feeding and maintenance costs compare in an automobile's cost of ownership? <laughs> Gotta love that. People talking about the donkey. This person, there's no wrong answer here to be honest. Maybe take a step back and look at the bigger picture. You have money saved for a house down payment, but will that kind of clear out your savings? Do you have ample funds set aside for a rainy day fund already? Are you pre-approved for a mortgage already? Will financing a car impact your mortgage rate or approval? See, what I just mentioned, you know, this person's probably not even thinking about that. Okay, so I have already set aside money for the house outside of my savings and rainy day fund. I don't have to empty any accounts and my Roth and HSA are untouched. I got pre-approved for 400k at 3.5% in November last year. So just trying to map out the whole process. Okay, so the person did think ahead. That's good. But just choose a cheap car. Because here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. If you buy a cheap car right now that's reliable enough to get from point A to point B, like your business, back to home, and then some, and then you know, going groceries and all that kind of stuff, right? Nothing crazy, not going like massive trips or something. You could always buy another car later down the line. You could always do that. Like There's nothing stopping you from six months later, a year later, two years later from just buying a different car. There's nothing stopping you. But if your main goal is to actually really get that house, do everything in the best route for that house. At least that's the way that I view it. So let's check out the next post. Should I pay for a new car in cash or invest? So everyone says take the financing, but for whatever reason, despite my excellent credit, the finance rate is still 3.5% on a 60K car. 60k car, ooh, that's pretty pricey. Due to part fear and part cluelessness, I have been letting money just in my bank account greater than $2,000 other than a yearly 401k Roth IRA and some chump stocks in my E-Trade account I am unsure about the best way to proceed with further investing of in my money. I have an emergency fund, so my thinking is to just pay off the car loan over the minimum number of months I am required to. Do you think it's better to keep the loan and invest the money instead? If so, where would I invest it now? I am worried about volatility due to the present instability in Ukraine, so pretty unsure of how the market would be in the coming months. Anyway, thanks for your help. So... Here's the thing, right? $60,000 for a car is a very high amount for a car. Now, I don't know what the income level of this person is. The, I don't know, 
who this person is, but like, that's a lot of money for a car, right? So really, to buy this car, regardless of how much money you have in the bank, to really buy this car and to really be able to justify it, you're looking at more like closer to like a one hundred and twenty to two hundred thousand dollar, well, two hundred thousand per year income, right? Because it's a depreciating asset, right? So if he spends money on this car, guess what is going down in value? If you get a financing for this car, you're more like spending, depending on how long you have it, on like more like 80, 85K, maybe even 90K, depending on how long the loan is for, right? So that's like a really expensive uh, trash heap, basically, right? It's just, it's basically a really expensive toaster. That's the best way to put it. It's a really expensive toaster. So, if I was this individual, I would not buy this $60,000 car unless I'm making like $200,000 plus per year, right? Because that is a lot for a car. But, it doesn't really make sense that this person would be willing to basically just burn $60,000 immediately for a car but not really feel comfortable investing into the stock market consistently like dollar cost averaging like it doesn't really make any sense right even if he were to finance it but even if we were to finance it you're still losing more money in the long run right so if i was this individual i'd probably look more so maybe like a $30,000 car. And again, this all depends on how much they actually make per year, not how much money they actually have. So I'll look closer to like just a 30K per year car, depending on their income. In terms of what to do with over $200,000 worth of money, I would just automatically invest it every single month, right? Now, I don't know their exact amount, but let's just say that they start putting in like twenty to $30,000 per month on the first of every month into like an S&P 500 ETF, right? And just consistently do that for the next few months over time. Because if they feel so fearful of the uh, instability, just dollar cost average into investments over time, right? That is typically better for most people in terms of like the long run. So that's the way, that's the route that I would go about doing it. Like not making things too complicated, not getting financing on an asset that's going down in value. It's not like a house, it's gonna go down in value, period, end of story, right? You're not buying a collector car at $60,000, at least not a good one. So it doesn't really make much sense. So let's check out these uh, responders. You're scared of a short-term market volatility, but not afraid to buy a 60K vehicle at the height of the car market. <laughs> and the op doesn't even put anything as a response. If you pay cash, make sure you hint that you want to finance, negotiate the price as low as possible, then get your checkbook out. If you have 200K in cash, there is absolutely zero reason to finance a car. I would have to agree. Do both. Pay cash for the car and throw the rest in a total market index fund. 
which index funds would be best? Blah, 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 blah. Look at it this way. Suppose you already own the car and somebody offered to loan you 60K at a 3.5% interest rate with your car put up as collateral. Would you take the loan and invest the 60K in the stock market? I wouldn't either. Pay for the car in cash and put the rest to good use. If you plan to spend it on something else in the next couple of years, leave it in cash. If you plan to spend it closer to five-ish years, put half in a stock market index fund and half in a bond market index fund. If you have no plans to spend it, funnel into retirement by doing mega backdoor Roth contributions with your salary, if available, and living off of the cash, or just invest it in a total stock market index fund in a taxable brokerage account. And this person basically laid it out pretty much perfectly, right? This person basically put it out perfectly as to what a good game plan would actually be for this individual. But again, this all depends on what this person actually agrees to. Because here's the thing. The thing with personal finance is that it's always personal, right? Everybody's situation is actually very specific, right? You could give like broad advice, broad tips and tricks, but everyone has certain things that are going on in their life that a lot of people don't really know. So you can't necessarily give exact advice unless people literally tell you what the hell is going on and be truthful about it. So why are you buying a 60 car unless you make like 200K a year? That makes no sense. (laughs) This person literally said what I said. Like, why are you buying a 60K car unless you make 200K? That's pretty funny. Let's see. Yeah, this person doesn't really say anything about how much money they make. Yeah. But yeah, if I was this person, I would buy a car in cash that is more like 20 to 30K, if that, and then put everything in index funds and dollar cost average into them, right? I might do actually every single day, personally, but if I was this person that was super risk averse, then I would just do it every single month on the same day, every single month, like the first of every month, bam, automatically, or the first Monday of every single month, bam, automatically, right? So that's something that I would do but to each their own. If you are wanting to get out of debt and you want to learn how to get out of debt, go to 40 If you want to learn, well, not really learn, but if you want to automate your investing, go to 40 and then click the thing for Acorns because you could actually set up an automatic investment every time you actually buy something as well. So for example, me personally, I always have a problem with actually spending money, right? That's me personally. I have issues of actually spending money. Like, I feel very uncomfortable spending money. But having something like Acorns, where I know that every time I do buy something, it's going to just get rounded up to the next dollar, and it's going to automatically invest into my type of investing strategy. I prefer that right? That makes me feel a little bit better filling up at the gas station. It makes me feel a little bit better buying groceries. It makes me feel a little bit better maybe buying something like a snack to eat or something like that because I'm someone who is very frugal and really hates personally spending any amount of money, right? Thus, having something like acorns is really beneficial for someone like me, but also it's very beneficial for someone who 
doesn't pay a lot of attention in terms of investing because you could also set up a way to just automate your investing in there on top of rounding up everything that you spend to the next dollar, right? So you could actually set up like an automatic amount of like $50, $100, $1,000 per month or whatever to automatically be put into an investment for you specifically designed based off your risk tolerance. So for people who are super lazy, it's a pretty good option. There's also a good option to just go to Robinhood as well and set up something like that. And if you're into like crypto as well, you could go to 40inbox.com and there's a thing that you could click for like a free amount of like Bitcoin, I think like $10 or something. And you could just like once you like invest like $100 onto Coinbase after you click that, you will get like $10 of free Bitcoin or something like that, which is pretty cool. And with that one, you could also do dollar cost averaging, which is pretty nice, right? I really like people investing in a way that is super stress-free and very hands-off, right? Like you want things to be very habitual, right? Like I find the best things for like anyone is that once you make things like a habit, something that's not having to be like actively mansion, like managed is a lot easier on people and it's a lot easier for them to stick with it. It's like the same thing with like a diet, right? You can't really stick to a diet if you can't do it all the time, right? Like if you can't actually like live that life, right? That's why, you know, the best way to like lose weight is to basically eat what you want, just a slight amount less if you want to lose weight, right? So for example, because we're just using this as like a fat loss example, right? If you want to just lose a little bit of amount, if you want to lose weight, if that is your goal, right? All you got to do, let's say that you are like the way that you eat, you drink Cokes now, right? Just like normal soda now, right? If you only change normal soda to diet soda over time, you will lose weight, but you can stick with that, right? If you drink a lot of juice drinks, if you get the less calorie option juice drink, like light lemonade instead of just lemonade, over time, you will lose weight and you would actually stick with it because you could actually do that all the time, right? Because you're not really making like drastic changes, just a slight change over time will actually give you a better result because you'd actually stick with it. And that's the same thing with investing. A slight change over time will give you a really good result. That's why when we say putting a certain amount of money every single month, automatically every single month, just keep on doing that over and over, just a slight amount, you'll end up becoming a millionaire by the time that you retire, right? So it's just a way that people should really look at personal finance is that you don't got to make things complicated. Just be slightly better and you'll be pretty good. You'll be okay. That's the way to really think about it. We'll see you in future episodes. Thank you for listening. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by our personal finance courses. So if you have problems with mastering your money and you need help, go down below and learn how to master your money. And this is a plan that 
anyone of any income level can follow. It is simple and easy to follow for any income level in any situation, and is very straight to the point. And if you want to learn how to make money online, go down below as well. And we'll see you in future episodes.